Hello and welcome to Cooking the Books with Jilly Smith and this week we're basking in the heat of Crete with 2019 MasterChef champion Irini Giorgioglu. Irini's debut cookbook, Under the Olive Tree, is packed with stories of family and feasting and her journey from rural Crete to banking in London and back to the food of her home, but this time as a MasterChef winner. I still don't see myself as a MasterChef champion. You know, I look at the trophy sitting there and I'm thinking, really? Was it me? Is it mine? But before we set across the Aegean, this month Cooking the Books is sponsored by Whole Foods Market, which sources the finest wholesome and organic foods. Each week we'll find out what Whole Foods Market and sustainable chef Alexandra Dudley has found as part of its Summer Mindful Moments Guide to showcase the best well-being products available in store. And this week, why not pop into the in-store butchers and fishmongers to see how Whole Foods Market buys responsibly. Their Scottish mackerel from Fish for Eva is line caught so steers away from intensive farming methods and works directly with small fishing communities, essential for local economies and for the planet. Pop along to one of the seven London stores to get your hands on the products or head over to the Whole Foods Market Instagram channel at Whole Foods UK where you can find more about the Mindful Moments Guide. Now, come with me to sit under the olive tree where Irini is telling me why food from her Cretan childhood is so important. I heard your other speakers talk about nostalgia and romanticism and that's unavoidable when we talk about our childhood and my childhood was very poor, no luxuries, no toys, no fancy things. Certainly we had to wait for Christmas and Easter to get new shoes and new dress and things like that. But I have such fond memories over time, where people felt very close to each other, we were constantly in each other's houses, and, you know, food featured so, so much. Considering we were so so poor, um, I still have a soft spot, and I always cry when I see children starving somewhere, because you can deal as a child with lacking everything, but love and food. And I had plenty of both. You did. And you were surrounded by family and you were surrounded by food from the land. I mean, you obviously grew your own. Everybody did. There's a sort of a nostalgic, romantic notion of the the food of childhood. I mean, it, it was hard stuff, wasn't it? You know, feeding everybody that was plentiful, but it was hard. I mean, just tell us about the olives, for example. Ah, all of it was hard because even as a child, I remember going and having to dig with the adults. The soil would invariably be dry because we didn't have a lot of rain. In the winter, oh my gosh, my worst nightmare. All the hours that I didn't have school and weekends, my parents wanted me to be with them. My little hands would be red and frozen like bits of wood, you know, and I still... I wanted to, I had a very strong worth ethic since I was little, but also I needed to help. Three of us were better than two. So I was picking olives and my hands, my little hands could hardly hold on to them, you know. (laughs) And of course, carting those great big nets that that come from under the trees, you know, people actually carried them on their backs, don't they? Yes, I had to help my mum while my father was beating with the sticks. I had to help my mum pull those nets. And after the second olive tree, it's quite heavy. The nets are very heavy. So I think that's probably a reason why my mom and I both had osteoporosis early on. <laughs> God, really? Of 
my goodness. I was about to say, well, thank you very much for the olive oil because Odyssea sent me some of the Cretan olive oil earlier in the week. And oh my goodness, it is extraordinary. And, and of course, it's naturally organic. And you say in the book that it's virtually drinkable like juice, isn't it? It's, it's fruit juice. I, I wish we all understood that because we would care for it differently and we would get all the benefits from it because the benefits, the health benefits have been very well documented. Exactly. There's a lot of evidence to say that polyphenols are absolutely brilliant for boosting the immune system and may even help with cancer. Yes, lots of things, heart issues. You know, olive oil was the pillar really of the Mediterranean diet and that was that was the reason. And that's why we need to drink it or use it when it's fresh. Well, I do, whenever I possibly can. Now, when you're talking about scraping the mud with your little hands, you also used your hands to uh, to gather the trahanas. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. To make the trahanas. Tell us about that. That's your first food moment, the soured, cracked wheat soup. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Uh, the soup is the end product, but in order to reach the winter when you would be making the soup, the preparation started early in the summer. You see, in August, the the sheep and the goats uh, produce a lot of milk. But what happens in August is most Greek Orthodox people uh, fast. So dairy is out of the diet. And what they found, what people found was that if they let the milk go sour and then used it to either make a soft cheese, which with refrigeration you can preserve, but in those days they couldn't. However, they found that if they cooked it with cracked wheat, or rather if they cooked cracked wheat in the soured milk, they could then make something like a, like a mash. You know, the cracked wheat cooks, the milk thickens, and then that's malleable. You can take it in your hands and shape it. And my job, after my mom would cook these liters of of trahanas in a huge pot over a wood-burning fire, would be with my little fist to take handfuls, dig my little fingers into it. So I suppose what you were doing, you were creating an expanse of surface that would then take the sunlight and the wind, the air, to dry faster. Yeah. And then I would go and lay them on the roof of the house where we would put clean white sheets on first and they would be there for days and every day I would go and turn them over so that the air and the sun got everywhere until they were really dry. It's a very... It's a very sensory experience of food from a very young age. And I'm wondering whether the journey from that little girl on the rooftop drying Trajanas to the MasterChef champion of 2019, can you make the connection there? You know, life doesn't seem, doesn't, doesn't stop to amaze me, Julie. How everything one day fits into place. I can now go back and retrace every step of my life. And I, I really am full of wonder how everything happened in a way that led me to be here. But for an outsider, the whole thing doesn't make any sense whatsoever. How from that poor village, I ended up in Athens. I studied languages. I finished my education. My dad dies. That changed totally the way my life was going. How old were you? He died when you were in Athens. How old were you? I was 20. And then your mum had to take you all back to Crete. 
Yes, it was inconceivable in those days that I would stay by myself in Athens and leave my mom unsupported. So I went back with her. Um, and then marry my first husband and then moved to London and going to banking and feeling always frustrated because banking didn't represent me and looking for outlets. But, but cooking never featured, not once in my mind as a way of making a living or writing books, or going on a TV program. In fact, I'm a very shy person by nature. And the fact that I was actually televised, and I was so comfortable being televised, is a wonder in itself. Well, I think it's about your absolute absorption in food. And I think it is about the disconnect. I, I see this a lot with a lot of the chefs I interview, with a lot of the food writers, in particular, they lose their connection. Olia Hercules is a, is a perfect example of somebody who was taken away from her homeland very young. And that reconnection is because of a void, a loss of a sense of who you are, and you start to rebuild it. And I can see the connection because, for example, when you go to Athens and you suddenly, the little girl from Crete is going home to, uh, to different people's houses, your new friends, and finding the the food from different regions and your understanding that food has stories. Take us to that point in, in Athens. You use it in your second food moment with the Milfei. Just tell us a little bit about that. Well, Athens was such an eye-opener, you know. To give you an example, I go from a school in a tiny village of about 35 people where the children are all sitting in the one room so whatever level we were at, we were all together. And the teacher would take it in turn to teach the first year, the second year. The and I go into Athens where my class alone, we had about 45 pupils. So I walk in and it was, uh, and of course, then the exposure to so much, so many people. I was using Cretan dialect words and invariably the other children would laugh because clearly I had an accent, you know, I had a strong pronunciation and, uh, and I was shocked. It, it's like I landed on the moon, but then the abundance of produce, um, the, the, the people with different, uh, cultures. Uh, you see, Greece is a very fragmented country. Depending on the land morphology, people grew or bred different foods, different things. And until then, I was only familiar with my own little narrow world. But in Athens, I realized that Oh my God, my mom makes a pie, but actually Zoe's mom makes like 15 different types of pie. And she makes this amazing homemade filo that my mom didn't make. It wasn't so amazing. And then I realized that in Epirus, in Northern Greece, Northwestern Greece, they had a lot of dairy, but they didn't have a lot of fertile land. So they learned how to make all these pies by using flour, basically, making phyllo, and then they would put in it whatever. You know, so to totally a, a huge school. And I was curious. I loved the smells. I loved to go and watch what they were doing. I would go into patisseries and hang around. I must have been a right little pain <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> for people working. <laughs> 
But you, 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 your cousin Rula, who's a big influence in your life, as was her father, Yorgos, uh, and she worked in a bakery. And uh, I love the, the when you take us to that second food moment where the, the moment you taste the milfei and you and your cousin Rula would go and eat oh. these milfei. And it, it feels <laughs> like you're in a city and you're, you're just scoffing everything that you can possibly get from it. This new experience. Yes. You recreate that, the milfei in the book, but that's not why it's the story behind it isn't it tell us about going to Mikes the patisserie imagine you know two brothers in Athens poor working all day doing whatever work they could get hold of but weekends were celebrations we would always gather together my father and his brother and we would eat either in one house or the other but of course Rula and I were similar age we're like two sisters and we couldn't wait to tell each other, Rula, the gossip from her working week, and I, the experiences from school. You mentioned it just in passing that Rula had to go to work very young and she, because her family couldn't afford education while you went on, not just to be educated, but then to move to England, to become a banker, to, you know, get married in England uh, and, and become a MasterChef champion. Her father was the chef. He was your biggest inspiration. Uh, and, and it's just a, a wonderful, very passing insight into the huge divisions that money can make in Greece. You know, we romanticize Greece and many poor places across the world, but the, that is a stark reminder how the division is made at a very young age. My life could be so, so different. And you know, it is for my brothers because I was the youngest and I was the girl. A lot of focus and resources went on to me, whereas my brothers had to leave the house very young and go to the merchant navy and work again. So they were working and sending the little money they were making back home. Uh, later on, they went to night school and they caught up and they studied. But then our fortunes as a family had changed a little bit, had improved. I was very lucky. There were people in my life all throughout my life, Jilly. I have been so blessed. Uh, there was a person living in our block of flats who took sympathy to me and a liking to me, but he owned a fantastic language school in the middle of Athens. So he spoke to my father and said, I know you can't afford to pay my fees, but I would be so happy if Irini came and learned languages in my school for free. And it is that sort of uh, that juxtaposition that really kind of uh, is is very heartwarming the, all the way through the book. You do it again in your third food moment with a beautiful uh, recipe for a smoked potato, something incredibly simple, but looks very master chefy on the page. But actually, the food moment that you sent me is very far removed from that master chef photograph. Something that we make in Greece to this day is the local eau de vie. Uh, it's called Raki, Otsikudia. And people at the end of the day would come back from the fields, particularly in the winter months, and be frozen and wet and whatever. And they would want something warming. So they would have a little shot or two of Raki. That would also happen in the Cafe Neo or in people's homes. But what do you have with a very strong alcohol and your stomach is probably empty? You know, what do you eat? What are you going to most likely have all year round that is not expensive? Well, potatoes were at home. We had potatoes always. They were cheap. We grew them. 
we had them all year round. The easiest thing was to throw a couple of potatoes in the embers and wait until they were cooked. And there is nothing to this day, when I think about it, I'm, I'm drooling. There's nothing as tasty as a basic potato when it's been slowly cooking in the embers of olive wood. And then you could cut in that and it would be steaming. And all you would do is sprinkle a little bit of salt, a squeeze of lemon juice, and it was a delight. Michelin star, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can taste it now. And, and I love the way that you talk about the people, uh, the, the residents of the Cafe Neon uh, in their 80s, sitting around drinking <laughs> Raki. Uh, and, and again, there's that juxtaposition of your life now, you know, so full of opportunity and 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 a life where a lot of the younger people are leaving it's a it's an aging population um in in crete in particular the villages you know there were only 35 people in the village when you grew up and 14 in the village where we have our home <laughs> but Gili, look at the food culture there is still a taverna so <laughs> we're talking about the food from the mediterranean that hasn't changed and that is an extraordinary thing in itself um you've brought them up to date some of these recipes and you've thrilled us with some of the basic ideas that you've given your master chefy spin to. Uh, but it's always very rooted in the reality of where you come from. None less than the your fourth food moment, the vegetable scraps and pasta soup that you said you in that moment when you were opening the box of goodies on MasterChef thinking, what am I supposed to do with this? And you knew exactly. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Because my mom wouldn't, um, I was, I would put a chair, stand on it and do the washing up when I was too little to reach the sink. But she wouldn't let me cook for whatever reason. I wasn't cooking as a young child anyway. I was helping with preparation, but I wasn't cooking. And yet, obviously seeing her and her mother and my father's mother, all these women preparing food was sinking in. So I knew what they were doing when they had one carrot and half a potato and an egg and whatever, you know, they would gather at the end of a day back from the fields and maybe a few wild greens. So when I saw this, whereas I was previously consumed with fear, oh my God, how am I going to cope with challenges where I don't plan for? I was joyous. I thought, oh my gosh, look at all this food. <laughs> And very, very quickly, I imagined I could see the dish I was going to make. I mean, the thing about gastronomy is that judges are always looking for signature. They're always looking for story and authentic story. And authenticity is such an overused word. But actually, when you find it, when it really means something, you can feel it, the the hairs on the, on the back of your neck go up because it, it really means something. And, and what you do is you bring story to your food and it comes from the very heart of you, doesn't it? It does. And I encourage, you know, the readers of the book and whoever I speak to when I give demonstrations, whatever, well, I encourage two things. Believe in yourself more because I went into MasterChef without believing in me at all. And the other thing is be free, liberate yourself from cookbooks. From I mean, I love cookbooks. I take them to bed with me. I adore them. I have loads. But 
I look in them for the stories, for the inspiration. I, I'm not a slave to the recipe. And I encourage my readers to do that. And I'm so happy when somebody already had, they have received the books, people, various people, and they say, uh, even Clive Anderson, he said, well, I didn't have a whole sea bream. I cooked, uh, I baked uh, sea fillets, uh, you know, bream fillets. Great. You know, do what my mother did, what women throughout the world do with the very little or very much that they've got. Just use ingredients be grateful that you've got them to use them because coming from a poor background you never lose that and then just play with them have fun and i always say at the end of the day this is a food lover talking i always say guys at the end of the day it's only food (laughs) 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 but it's food to feed people and that's the other wonderful story that runs through this book it's all about feeding and i wonder if that comes from your yaya irini Yes, my gosh, yeah, yeah, Irini was um, in one of the tasks. Uh, Craig called me cooking machine because he saw me rush and tried. You know, I was really rushing. I was up against it. And my grandmother, my yaya Irini, was a cooking machine because she had seven children, her and Papu Plevris, the priest. Uh, lots of work people who were coming from other different parts of Greece to help in the summer uh, with wheat and various uh, grapes and wine pressing, you know, and all that. In the winter, picking olives. The house was, const- I mean, their table sat about 20 people in the kitchen. And uh, Yaya Irini never stopped preparing the next meal. It was always... From the morning, I don't know when she was doing the washing. The washing. I think my mom, who's um, the oldest uh, daughter, girl, was actually doing the washing and other chores. And Yaya Irini was always cooking or killing five rabbits or hens or dealing with the killed pork, you know, uh, pig or all these imageries in my head of Yaya Irini. You are now based in Cumbria. Uh, you are in Crete at the moment. How near is it to the village where you grew up? <laughs> it's not very near. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, My mom was quite upset at the time that we bought a house that is totally unconnected to my place of origin. But uh, I needed to take into account... Uh, um, friends and family coming from the UK and proximity to the beach. Because where I grew up, actually, it was bang in the middle of the island. So beautiful landscape, very fertile, but actually about 40 minutes drive from the nearest beach, yeah. the nearest coast. Whereas now we are somewhere very green, beautiful village that John, my husband, discovered and we've been made to feel so welcome. We feel like we've always belonged there. Um, and um, this is our little house, and I we spent our time between that, my mom's uh, summer house until last year before she passed away, and the village house where I grew up. Yeah. So it's lovely because I see different people, I do different things, always food is involved, because any time of the village you go to Crete, there will be things that are done. And summer is a huge activity because a lot of drying takes place. Drying figs, drying tomatoes, drying, you know, anything you can imagine, the, the trajanas. The, so reasons for women to get together and chat and catch up. Yeah. And of course, the women of the village can't wait for me to go because I go from a 
abroad, a big world, and I bring news like and different opinions yeah. and things that educate. Yeah. And, and of course, I can't wait for them to tell me what happened during the winter and who's got what new plant and what <laughs> uh, new recipe they've discovered. <laughs> yeah. It feels like there's a big distance between the little, little Irini running around helping with the olives in Crete. The teenage, very metropolitan Irini in <laughs> Athens eating her milfei with her cousin Rula. And the banker in London who loses her sense of self. And thinking about it, Gilly, I think that's probably the reason. I didn't realize it at the time, but more than anything, that was probably the reason I felt so out of my skin in banking. I did not enjoy banking. Yeah. And I think it was that it divorced me from yeah. my essence. And it divorced, and you weren't cooking at that time. You were too busy. You were getting home really tired. And it, it's almost like you had to fall to your knees. You had to almost collapse before you could re- reconnect with, with who you were and who, and bring yourself back to who you are. Yes. I, I was trying for years to leave banking, but then, I, I, I am a very loyal person in general and I, and I am emotional and I get tied to things and people. And whenever I felt it wasn't a good moment to leave my employer, I would say, Oh, well, just do another couple of years, just do a little bit longer. But, um, the best thing that John and I could ever do, um, was to, to come to another Crete, which is Cambria, because I feel like it's another Crete. Very natural environment. People grow their food. People, and I found slowly, slowly Irini. And that's what connected me. And that's how when John uttered the words, why don't you do MasterChef? It was like, Oh my God, I, I'm at home. Yeah. A lot of people don't cook because they don't have time. And when you left banking, you started to cook. There's still a little bit of a disconnect there between, you know, bringing yourself back through your cooking, having time finally when you decided to leave. And seeing yourself as a potential master chef. That took a long time. Look, I still don't see myself as a master chef champion. You know, I look at the trophy sitting there and I'm thinking, really? Was it me? Was it my, is it mine? So uh, there are different elements in, in that. What I loved about master chef and I would, I said to somebody, a journalist the other day, I would pay a hundred thousand pounds today to do master chef. That's how important it was in my life. What I loved about it was the sense that I was alive, the sense that I was hospitable again. I could enjoy, operate from, and part with some of my natural gifts, which is the gift of creativity, which I know I have, the gift of hospitality, which I know I have, and 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 the gift of, of teaching, because I discovered I loved encouraging the younger contestants and, and helping them if I could in the breaks and you know. Um so the the trophy, the success, as Irini the person, that little girl who grew up in poverty but with beautiful food, was not sinking in. It wasn't. It wasn't almost important. Your mum was the biggest impact on your life. She was a real. She she kept the family together when your father died when you were so young, and she, sadly she passed away last year. But just after you had one MasterChef, it, the yes. book is a is a legacy, isn't it? How how do you feel bringing it out? 
this book has been a huge gift to me, of course, but I think it's also been a huge gift of mine to people like mom who've passed away, but I know she's with me all the way and she has been with me all the way and always will be. But also my step-grandchildren, the younger members of the family, because there is now, I feel this continuity, yeah. which because I never had my own children, I felt wasn't there before. Yeah. And actually now this is a great link with Yaya Irini, who I'm sure is smiling up there thinking, Oh, good job. I killed all those rabbits. You know, she used to grab them and strangle them with their bare hands. <laughs> and it always fascinated me. How could a priest's wife be so brutal? Well, she couldn't because she had to feed the world. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a great, great book. We're going to leave you to sit under your olive tree and eat a beautiful salad of manuri cheese, which you introduced me to. And I will be eating manuri cheese for the rest of my life. It's a beautiful, soft version of a kind of a halloumi cheese. It's a sheep and goat cheese, isn't it? Uh-huh. It comes from the whey and added to milk uh, after the feta is produced. So it's very creamy. Uh, I think it comes to its own when it's griddled, when it touches fire, when it's griddled or temp- try tempura as well. It's wonderful. Oh, I will do. Thank you very much, yeah. Irini. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Cooking the Books. Please rate and review and subscribe and pop over to juliesmith.com if you'd like to sign up to the mailing list to keep up with all my news. Next week, we're off to France with Guardian columnist Felicity Cloak to find one more croissant for the road. <laughs>